Present Tense Podcast. Hi, this is Ann Bailey, the host and producer of Present Tense Podcast. In Episode 7 of our series, The Fight to Save Alabama's Last Wild Places, I'm in conversation with photographer Charlie Seafried. Charlie is a larger-than-life human being, physically large, big hands, big laugh, big heart, expansive mind. His photos of the Bankhead National Forest, featured in Wild Alabama magazine, were an important part of raising awareness and opening wallets for the cause of changing U.S. Forest Service policy in the Bankhead National Forest. Charlie grew up traveling the world with his parents, as his father posed as a shipping executive, but was actually a CIA operative at that time. Charlie worked as a stevedore on the Mississippi, as a truck driver, furniture mover, cook and bottle washer, and in the toy and textile industry before finding his journey as a photographer. His work has been published in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, USA Today, The Economist, Business Week, National Geographic, and many more. He is the winner of multiple local and regional Addy Awards and is the author of six books, including Alabama Simply Beautiful and Alabama Canyons, The Bankhead National Forest. Charlie writes that marrying his wife, Brenda, was the best thing that happened to me. The next best thing happened when my daughter Elizabeth was born in 1975. And to really add to our life is our wonderful little granddaughter, Avery Ann, who visits us quite often. Okay, how long have I been coming to the Bankhead? Uh, actually, I guess I met Brenda in 65 at Athens, and then I was starting to date her, and so we'd go down to her parents' place, which was just about maybe a mile, not even a mile from the forest on the east end. They had a farm there, and so I'd go pick her up, and we'd go off into the Bankhead, drive around. It was beautiful. It didn't have all the damage. You know, it was just a natural forest and it was just absolutely gorgeous and uh, so um, I remember that those times and then I forgot about it because I took off and moved up to Nashville and then moved up to Pennsylvania and then and, and um, 
so anyway, it was a long trip back to Bankhead by going to uh, first, you know, to Dallas and then finally coming back. And so we, we moved back to Decatur and built a house. And, and um, so then, so that's when I started uh, looking around and doing photography elsewhere, like in uh, the Smokies or Teleco Plant, you know, just different spots. So finally, I just came. I, I met Lamar, and that was in 1991, and that's when I really started going to the bankhead. How so, did you meet Lamar? He he uh, was in the paper, uh, so I quit his job at Amico, which was uh, you know a, a great. I just couldn't believe anybody would do that, and then turned around and he he just started the bankhead monitor, and the first time I saw him, he had the first issue. You know, and I said, "Hey, we can we can work on this." So, uh, but anyway, I invited him over, and we talked for hours. And uh, so I said to him, "I said you can use any of my photographs, you know, uh, to to do this. I mean, we need to fight this." And uh, so I also told him that he would. Uh, I like to go to places that he knew about, and uh, so that's how it started. We started going. Uh, I met all these people, Rob Cox, and. Barbara Crow and and uh, just Janice and all the all those people and uh, it was it was quite it was quite interesting. Uh, I just want to say one thing about the beginning of the awareness of environmental stuff because I read a lot and one of the things that I read years ago was was of course Rachel Carson's yeah and Silent Spring Silent Spring and then. The second thing was uh, David Corton's um, uh, When the Corporations Ruled the World. And the third thing was the uh, Unsettling of America by, by, by uh, Wendell Berry, which is absolutely an essential read. I think it is the essential read on the environment. So, and although he was talking about farms, he was talking about sustainable things, keeping or uh, 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 the forest sustainable, keeping the land sustainable, you know, respecting it, taking care of it. So, anyway, that's... So, hmm. you had been doing this reading already. Yeah, I had, yeah. So, you, through reading, it raised your awareness. It did. It, it, didn't, it didn't hit, because you never... People that don't, that are not in it, they, they, don't, they, they don't realize it's going on. Because they, you know, look at look what's happened, and this is what 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 Wendell Bear was talking about in the, in the unsettling of America. He said, so when when Wendell Berry said that um, he was working under Earl Butts in the Johnson administration, and, and Earl Butts said, you know, he kept promoting big agriculture. This is what's going to happen. This is this is where it's going. This is where we're going to feed everybody. But he said that the small farmers were being pushed out at 200,000 farms a year. And these people had to go somewhere and had to, they left the land. And when Big Agri got a hold of it, they couldn't care less about the land. They just, they saw it as a, as a opportunity, to, uh, an opportunity to make cash. And that's, he also said that there are two different types of people. Uh, he said there's the nurturers and there's the exploiters. And so the, Wendell Berry is a nurturer, I'm a nurturer. All, as a matter of fact, all the whole group, that was, they were nurturers, that's what they were. They wanted to use the, uh, use the forest, but use it in a very responsible way. So that was, Interesting. That, yeah, it was a good book, really good book. So anyway, 
uh, yeah, let's see. Um, long and short of it is that, uh, uh, let's, let's see how I, okay. Anyway, I did already say this, that the, the unsettling America is something that really needs to be done because uh, it needs to be read because of the fact that when you go to other places, that's when you start building understanding is when you go to Teleco in Tennessee. They were doing the exact same thing there. They were doing the bankhead. And then when I went to Washington State, oh my goodness, they had they had just clear cut so much of it. And Oregon too, but, but you know, you go along to uh, the Olympic and there's this, road that goes along the coast carway, uh, the, the ocean, and and you get out there and all of a sudden you receive that there's no trees from like 24 miles from the ocean in. They just took them and cut them down. So anyway, so that that that's where I am at this point with uh, trying to understand all this stuff. But, um, so you had been reading and then you moved to Decatur. Right. So that's in the same kind of time period. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, you know, between 77 when his book came out and uh, 1980 when Corporations Rule the World and Silent Spring came out, oh, before that, quite a bit mm -hmm. before that. So they were starting to build, they were starting to build awareness and uh, people were starting to, to, to take notice that this is what, you know, what was happening. It was good to get together and meet all these people, Rob Cox and Janice, and they were doing artwork. You know, Janice would do sketches for the magazine, really good stuff. And and then Rob Cox did a bunch of, real, he's a really good artist, Janice is too. And uh, so anyway, they, they helped the cause in that, and, and as, uh, also taking people out to the forest, because both of them are really love to get out there. So, and I do too. And uh, But anyway, it really was electric, and all the people, really were stirred up in the beginning with this whole thing with Indian Tomb Hollow and that thing really just uh, <laughs> that was just unbelievable what they did there and and it really galvanized the whole thing and, uh, and so just to clarify you're talking about when it was discovered that there was clear cutting going on at Indian Tomb Hollow and even at that same time, the bluff shelters had been disturbed, and there was evidence that um, it really had been mauled. Oh. And it was a sacred site. There was, yeah. That was, that was one thing. The other thing is that as you went along, and all the draws going down to the stream, you found under the shelters, they were, they were all chopped up. If we ever saw a screen and a we shovel, we break the shovel to take screens. We'll get rid of it. Uh, uh, it just it was just that way. But I, I remember one time uh, Lamar and I and Rex Free. We started off. We went back to a place called Grayson, and we got in the very back of the lumber mill and we dropped into a place called Collier Creek, and that was one of the first pictures I took of that waterfall. Collier. It was one of the first ones that was on the front cover. And then we just hiked all the way down uh, the creek until we got to Shangri-La Falls and all that. It's just, it was just beautiful. What we were trying to catch was, I was taking the stills and Rex was taking the, the, uh, the video that um, we had, there was a law passed that the loggers could not go anywhere close to the streams by 100 yards or something like that. But they had done was just plowed the whole stuff into the stream just to 
in spite of everything. So there was still the blue wrappings around the trees not to go that far, you know, and there they're laying in the stream. And uh, so the, we started off with that one. I'll never forget that. And that was that was some time ago. So it's only 30 years, you know, we started on that. Anyway, and uh, so then what was the most powerful thing that I, I can remember? Um, there were several powerful memories. Uh, and of course, I just gave you one of them, you know, going down to, to a Collier. And then we went to um, Caney Creek, which was just, uh, just Caney Creek Falls, which was just incredible. I mean, it really truly is. It's just an amazing spot. And it was pristine and, and, and it had a powerful, deep spiritual feel to it. And uh, so anyway, lift your soul, cleanse your mind, uh, good place to pray and sit quietly. And the experiences of walking through the bank had unfolded like a, like an old origami, <laughs> you know, just an incredible, incredible place. It just really was. Anyway. What do you think it is about Caney Creek that's so powerful? What I, do you think about it? I don't know. It just, um, when you drop down into it, it's such a big surprise. And then I had, uh, I had friends of mine, one was very sick, and we, she didn't want to get out of there. She was going to stay there, you know, it's just so, so serene. So uh, I think it might also be those hemlocks. The what? The, the hemlocks. Oh yes. You're not expecting to be in a temple. Yeah. And suddenly the sacredness of these hemlocks. Oh yeah. That actually grow in a spiral. Uh, so there's that energy. Yeah. That's starting to spiral in the very plant. And you could yeah you could feel it. You can feel it. It's it's you know. To go back to forest and go back to uh, the thinking of um, immersing yourself into vegetation, which is totally alive. Uh, and then, of course, the, to the situation at Finhorn in Scotland, where they grew stuff, just amazing stuff on the coast of Scotland. Tomatoes that were huge and cabbages and things like that, just in bad dirt, just by cherishing them and spending time and doing what they need to do. Well, I mean, that's what, that's what it's all about. It's all connected. So I just, uh, I love, I love, I love all of those places. They're just, there's so many of them. And uh, Upper Canelock is really good. People don't know. So many people don't know the little great spots, you know, which is kind of good in a way. But uh, I don't know. I want them to love it. I want them to see it and love it. But I shot all types of formats when I was out there, and I shot 35 millimeter and 4x5 panorama. I specialized in panoramic, which I did work in just all over the world, and uh, it, it's just a, uh, it's just a wonderful spot. Um, there's only one other place that I can think of that I was uh, that I traveled to, and that that was similar to the bank, and that was a, a place called Fern Cave. And that's up in near Crescent City in Northern California. It's right on the ocean. And it, and it is a box canyon. And it goes back and it has all these ferns hanging out. And, don't, you know. and that was about the closest thing I've seen of the, like the banking. Uh, we were camped out there and we, I woke up one morning and there was a herd of elk coming through the camp. 26 elk coming through the camp. Those like, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I could have put a herd on you. 
but uh, it was it was really beautiful. Uh, anyway, Lamar, you know, it's, you asked that question about the you know the eco warriors. You know, what 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 was that all about? Well, you walk with Lamar or Butch or anybody like that, and they would be sitting there and they'd go. They start educating. If you're down on the stream, just start seeing all the siltation, and that comes from the the clear cuts of the tops of the ridges where they just you know just massacred it and just left it there. And as anybody's been in the woods, especially where there's clear cuts, if you're in deep woods, the canopy is so good you can just walk through the woods. But when you're walking through, excuse me, uh, walking through this type of stuff, it's just like thorns and briars and, and stubble and you, you can get hurt if you're not careful. Uh, it'll rip you up. So you have to be careful going through this stuff and it's so time consuming. I mean, it takes you forever to go through a clear cut, you know, after just a couple of years growth, it's just not good. But um, anyway, so another thing is that you're, when you're flying a lot, I used to have to fly a lot and you go fly over Alabama. Of course, you fly over the states to see it, but Alabama was like, you know, I thought of a license tag of the clear-cut state. You know, I just thought it was just it was horrible, especially when you went down towards uh, you know Mobile on both sides, and uh, it was just not it was not a good idea to to, to I, I don't know it's just the way it was I guess. But um, well, as, as um, I think Lamar said. If people want to clear cut on private land, it's still not a great idea, but it's their land. Right. But these are public lands. Yeah, it's only. And yeah. You're, it's for all of us. So that was the main thing mm. to stop one group of people from being able to dominate the situation exactly. and destroy it for all of us. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Because how much of that land, 145,000 acres, I mean, it's it's a small piece of property. And, and the whole state, and they have to do it to that spot? What, what, what are we thinking? You know, why would we allow that to happen? Of course, we do know why, because it's just plain greed. But um, I, I photographed for a place, one owner, 250,000 acres. One person owned that, and they were clear-cutting that like they were going out of style. And that's just, you know, they'd call it management. Well, I understand what they're saying, but I don't agree with it. Right. But, um, you know, I mean, and I've said this before, you know, the Forest Service is in bed with large paper companies, and they dance to their tune just like the CIA dances to corporate America's tune. I mean, that's just the way it is. Always have been that way, so, uh, you know... And it, you know there was, there was times when we th we really got into a scary situation when the national monument came. You know we tried to get the park into a national monument status, and we oh boy that was something else. I mean it got it got crazy. Lamar had like eight death threats, and you know I I kept telling him get out of the store, move your because you don't want to draw lightning to the store, you know, your livelihood. But it just got worse and worse. And uh, then we were asked to go to a meeting down in Double Springs, down to the uh, VFW hall there, 
with uh, Charlie Borden, myself, and this other guy, Robert. And we got down there, and there was probably four or five hundred people in this thing. And, and they were being rah-rahed into a turmoil, you know. Uh, there was a group called Wise Use Group that came in and told these people that they were going to move them all the way off the forest, all the way, as one woman said, up to Virginia. And it, the UN was doing this. The UN, okay? Yeah. Can you imagine? And they were like, oh my goodness, it was like, they were yelling and screaming. Charles Borden got up to say a few words, and before she, before he could even say anything, this woman stood up and pointed at him and said, "You're a liar," and, and Lamar Marshall's a liar too, you know. And I mean, he hadn't even spoken three words, and uh, so it really got hot. I mean, hot. It was, and then one of the, the judges, I'm not going to mention his name, was pushing this thing, you know, making them, you know. A certain father of a, a person we have in in our Congress. So anyway, but it, that was I thought, wow, this is like what a setup. I didn't even think we could would get out alive. I really didn't. I thought that's how violent it was. If you the feeling was, it was pretty nasty. So, uh, but hey, that's the way that's the way life goes. I mean, you know, you just uh, yeah, let's see here. Anyway, so then I guess, you know, one of the things that uh, we talked about, about uh, what, you know, what would you tell a young person you know, about going into getting involved in all this stuff, you know, how do you, how to uh, make them think about it? Well, I always, I mean, I lived in the woods, even when I came back from the Orient, we just, we had a house in the woods, we played in the woods or whatnot. I stayed in the woods, and uh, I just loved it. Never was afraid of anything, and there's no reason to be afraid of anything, really. I mean, so unless you're living with a bunch of grizzlies, but I mean, you know, then you're then you're afraid. But uh, but I've enjoyed, you know, I've hiked all over the world and hiked and camped and in bad weather and with bears surrounding me, black bears, and never had a problem. Never had a problem, and uh, so I just, you know, um, I just really enjoy being out there with people that love it. And most of the time you go out there, you hardly ever run into somebody that's not a bad person. I mean, that's been a bad person. Everybody is, if they're out there, they're doing it for a reason, you know. And, and it's basically a good way to go. I mean, just get out and you, all your worries go away. You're focused on, on beauty and you can't beat that. So, uh, you know, I mean, you take a look at Bob uh, Crow, Barbara Crow, and she takes these hikes. Uh, they cause. <laughs> I tell her it's forced marches. <laughs> and, I mean, seriously, she can hike, and all the people with us are like, "Holy cow! They, they can. She can push them." And uh, like she'll be going along, all of a sudden she see a cliff and go straight up the cliff, <laughs> just like that. Yeah, and that was like last year. So uh, anyway, she's she's and she knows more, I think, than Lamar does about tracking uh, stuff because. She went to uh, Jim Brown School up in up in New Jersey, which is a top guy, you know. And so, but uh, anyway, she's really good at it. Um, anyway, so I I get out there and I'm always I'm all over North Georgia. I did photograph old North Georgia for Georgia Forest Watch, uh, Watch, excuse me, and uh, met Charles Wharton, who was like the guy, Rhodes Scholar. 
saved the whole North Georgia himself. Six foot eight. He was about 85 when I met him. Walked like, you know, he, he was a brilliant man. We sat and talked to him about different things. It was really, really, because um, there was clear cuts there too, you know, in the Cahutta wilderness, there was clear cuts. So he was able to stop a great deal of destruction, which was amazing, by himself. I mean, really, he was that smart, he could do that, you know. So anyway, uh, well, I just, uh, I guess, going along, we've taken hikes with our dogs, and they love it. You know, I mean, they just drop dead in the back of the truck on the way home and snore all the way back to the house. But, um, and let's see, I guess, I think that the forest is a, a very special place, a spiritual place. And, um, and I, I already mentioned about Finhorn in Scotland. The ad, by the way, in Finhorn says, working with nature's intelligence, it's alive, it's communicating, we are listening. Pretty good, pretty good statement. Uh, it's an experiment in transforming human consciousness. And I think you do change when you're in there. I mean, your consciousness change, changes. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, there's, there's a lot to say on that subject. Uh, Carl Jung said, until you make the con unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate, which is true. That's a, that's a good statement to think about. To answer the question on when we started teaming up with the other people and trying to stop the destruction, that's when, of course when I met Lamar, Janice, Rob, all the Butch, Charlie and all. And it was just an electric, electric uh, feeling. I mean, it was just, it was just an amazing uh, group of people. It, everybody just pitched in. It wasn't, in, you know, the board members, they just took responsibility doing things. And uh, it just turned into an extremely powerful feeling and never has returned since we took the power out of Alabama and put it in North Carolina. And that was the biggest mistake for the state, I think. They don't think that, but when you're dealing with the power structure that we started, that was there, and we, we didn't do anything, so Lamar moved up to, you know, near Asheville and, and went with Wild South, but the power was gone. The people lost touch with the center. And that's, you know, I know Janice takes people to hiking out there and, and other people do too. And, uh, you know, I, I take people out all the time and you'd sit there and think, well, but, but it's really, it was the activity that was centered around Lamar. And when he left, it, it just kind of, took this, you know, the starch out of the sails, uh, you know, the winds out of the sails. So, but that's, that's what happened. So, I don't know what to say, but that's, a lot of people think, that, I mean, that's my opinion, okay? That's what I think. It's, it's but I hard. think also, it's at a certain point of movement ends. Yeah. And then, typically, the people who are in the movement lament 
that now it's no it's no longer the same. Well, and that seems yeah. like a normal thing that happens. It does happen because. I mean, everything is cyclical, and it, 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 you know, everything is a birth and death. That's just the way it is. The movement really created significant change. That that had it not happened, the forest would have been in really bad shape. Yeah, it w it would have been, but yeah, I agree on that. I just. I just feel like when you when you take money from, you know, the U.S. Forest Service couldn't give out money, so they formed a group of people that could give out money that would dictate the pol the politics of it. Once you take money from the enemy, you're done. It's just like what happened with um, with uh, uh, what's the big uh, the biggest one uh, group uh, the Sierra Sierra, Sierra. Club. The, the the Sierra Club owned stock in Exxon. And all the major companies that were abusers, so that much so that when when Exxon went over to Java and found the largest uh, gas field in, in the world, and was told that if you open that up, the carbon dioxide that's going to come out of that is going to be the largest amount of carbon dioxide you and it could destroy things, they went right ahead with it, and 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 they did. Sierra Club said nothing, nothing about it. Well, it's, tr it's a tricky world. It keeps going on and on. Well, it seems like the energy that's required for movement, like I now call it the bankhead movement. I don't think anybody's called it that, but that's what I've named yeah. this movement. Yeah. Um, it requires so much energy to keep it going that at a certain point it seems like everything peters out. And then there are... Um, compromises that are made, and usually the people who are in the movement don't agree with the compromises. That's right, because because and 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 what how it how it started initially and why it started initially, and I can I can I can see that, uh, but I don't think today, you know, um, you just we you get worn down from these guys. They have far more power far more money and they sit and they just wait they wait you out you know and then their crop is a lot bigger and nicer and when they're ready to harvest they just you know dust off their shoes and get the chainsaws out and they're gone and that's just the way it's been and, and to the in the oceans in the forests you know it's just that's the way it is that's and, what i think telling these stories having these interviews is so important for people to um, gain some encouragement that this is possible, that it really is possible for people to take on yes. causes that are really in their own backyard and have positive outcomes. I Not agree. perfect outcomes, but positive outcomes. Right, right. Exactly. And there's, yeah. there's no doubt that what y'all were involved in had very positive outcome. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. I agree. I, I agree. Yep. Uh, one day I was sitting there with uh, at a meeting with all the people up at uh, Wild South, and I said, I said, I just want, uh, who was it I was talking to? 
they, I said, I said, Lamar, I said, there's not a person in this room that would quit his job and do what Lamar did. Not one. Okay. So, so that's what I, you know, I want to make sure they know that. Yeah. So, but anyway, and I was working full time. I didn't, I mean, I would just dip in on the weekends, you know, and just shoot and shoot and, and I was gone, you know, and I spent my time working a lot. I've worked an awful lot, and which was wonderful. I loved it. So, and they were the weekend going into the forest and shooting was just wonderful too. Got a great film. My the photographs are fantastic. Well, Incredible. Thanks. Well, thanks. And certainly, I just want to make the point that your photographs really, without photograph, I don't know about without them. Their presence helped people, helped galvanize people, helped people understand what was at stake. Right. Because you really were able to capture the sacred nature of these places. And, and it was a form of communication. It's a big form. And, and it wasn't, you know, the written word was the first form and, and lasted forever and ever and, and it became eloquent. And then when photography came along, it um, it is now you know you have the ability to transfer where all the people from the farms have moved to the cities they can actually see it and they can relate to it you know so uh, I was just uh, Neil Postman wrote that book amusing ourselves to death and he was all about the about the, the, the how eloquent the words were when when that was not here the, the photography and but it was it's a, another arm of communication. And uh, one of my best buddies is Art Bond, Dr. Bond, and he teaches art history, and he's doing a huge book now on art history. And one of the things that we talked about just recently was the fact that um, in the caves that are in southern France and, and in Spain, they've now determined that it wasn't our, our species, it was the Neanderthals that did that. And they used paleo pinhole photography. So if you had rocks and you had a little hole and somebody walked by and they saw it on the wall upside down, that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. So he's saying that photography existed a lot longer and there's evidence of that. So it's just amazing. I don't know. He's, he knows what he's doing, I'll tell you. The guy's really smart. So, and he was part of that because he, he had, all my friends were outdoor people, you know, I don't. I just, that's what we, that's what I do. And uh, I like to go camping, like to hike and, you know, see the world like that. And I've done it all over the world too. Uh, when I was a young guy, you know, to figure out what I wanted to do, I was, you know, pressured by my dad to be a lawyer or, or go into military or be a ship, you know, whatever. So, and of course I wouldn't do it, you know, I just would not do it because my, my, uh, my idea was to do photography and laugh me off to get out of here, you know, get, get a life. So, but I, what I always will tell the young people is that if you love what you do, you will be successful. So if you do want to go into the forest and look around and see what you can come up with, and I said, you know, basically now, some of the positive things I'm thinking about is that a lot of the people I'm talking about, young school, you know, college kids, they wanted to marine biology, they're going into 
uh, understand, you know, forest, not the forest service, but understanding, you know, botany and, and all these other uh, pieces of, uh, you know. The, arborists. Yeah. Right. Yeah, ar arborists, yeah. Water cleanliness. Because we, we're, we're destroying our, we're destroying our world and it cannot continue. It's not, it won't continue. It's not going to continue. And, you know, I said before that capitalism is, is, is really has been damaged so badly as of 2008, 2007, 2008, that we're on life support. And it's a chimera that we're looking at right now. And it could just totally disappear. And those things have happened before, you know. So I, I encouraged all, if I see any young people, I encourage them, get, do this, do that, get into this, you know, and get into photography, you know, get all the photography you can and go into the parks and photograph them so people could see them. So it's just, uh, anyway, I just, uh, that's, I, that's the next, oh, one, one more thing about, I've got to say about Ned Mudd and Dre Vaughn as far as being good lawyers, they really helped. They really did a lot of work, and that was really, really good that we had that. So uh, nobody's really talked about them. Could you say who they are? And yeah, uh, well, they're both. They were from you know lived in Birmingham. Actually, actually, uh, Ned does, and and uh, uh, Ray lived down in Montgomery, and he he was an eco lawyer. He just loved defending that you know or or, or nature. And uh, very good man, you know. He stopped. The, we had a lot of lawsuits to stop the, these people, the corporations, from doing stuff like this. But, but as I said before, you know, you, you know, he got he got sick and he couldn't do what he used to do. And then um, pretty soon it was just we couldn't find anybody to replace him, you know. And and that's and and Ned came in and did a lot of stuff too. I didn't know much about Ned. Uh, than I did about Ray, so, but I know he, he, he lives here in, in Birmingham and has done a good job helping Lamar, you know, doing, getting things done and whatnot, but overall, uh, you know, it's been a great experience, I would never trade it, you know, for anything in the world to, to, to be involved in that whole thing and, um, you know, to, to show people. When I did the first book, Alabama Canyons, uh, I went down to um, Books and Millions wholesale group called ABC. It's, I think it's called ABC uh, wholesale group. Of course, I mean, when you do a book, <laughs> they get so much money on the top that, and they have so many rights to you know. But when they first saw the, the front cover, of that they they could not believe it. And when they I said I left the copy. I said, "Well, just take a look at it and see." I came back and they were going, this is incredible. Where is this place? I said, right up, right up the street. <laughs> and they couldn't, they really couldn't believe it. So they bought like a ton of them and for Christmas they had them at the malls. I mean, they had a display that was a wall of those books. But only a few people bought them. Really. They didn't have any desire to, we didn't sell a whole lot of them at first. I mean, we sold out now, okay. But it was amazed to me that they did not even realize that this, this is Alabama Canyons. 
you open it up and it's just a really good book on, on the beauty of the place. But I just was amazed that they didn't sell them. And I had to take them back. I had to, you know, that's part of the deal. You don't sell them. They, I mean, they gave me large check for the first round. And then I had to give it back. Not all of it, but, you know. So, and then you get books back, signed, Dear Mary, here's a, and, and yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, the, that's in the fine print. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm a good man at books. I've got five of them. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen some, yeah, just, mm. but, you know, I just, uh, anyway. But it, what it did was build awareness. And, and it slowly built awareness. You know, I did the first book was Alabama, Simply Beautiful, and that was out of Montana Press. So they hired me to shoot, you know, use my stock and, and I went out to uh, High Falls and photographed that and brought that back. And, and they, where is this? You know, it's huge, beautiful place, gorgeous. Nobody knows about it. It's amazing. Uh, I gave a speech in front of 300 people at Rotary and I said, look, when all these people come to live in Decatur or live in Huntsville or you know, that's part of their life is that, you know, they're working, but they want something to do. And if they're from California or from upstate New York or from, you know, whatnot, these, these are the things they want to do. They want to go out and see these things, a kayak and, and camp and canoe and, and boat and whatever, walk in the forest. So I said, I think it would be wise if you, you highlight this and put some pressure on to get it out and then do some pressure to keep it clean, you know. That's good advice. Yeah, but it's you know it was all ding. Well, so that's it. Okay, cool. Thanks to cellist Craig Hultgren for our theme music. Thanks to Farron Weeks and the White Horse Singers for our episode music. Thanks to Charlie Seafried for making time for a second interview when I discovered that I deleted the first interview tape. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. This helps others find our show. Check out the other podcasts in this series, as well as in Season 1 of Present Tense Podcast. Remember that you can and you do make a difference in this world. Until next time.